my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Let me just run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. So, Samson, Samson Mao. Mark. Excelion. Mark Moss. Thanks for, thanks for sitting down with me. Um, I want to talk about your big project that you're working on, which is the biggest project and probably the most important project, which is like sovereign state, nation state, nation state adoption. But let's start back uh, a little bit on some backstory. So Blockstream. Yeah. Right? So Blockstream, potentially, yep. arguably the biggest, most important kind of company in the Bitcoin space? Still is one of the most important companies. Yeah. Okay. And I was there. Yeah, you were there. So what was that? What were you doing there? So at Blockstream, I was the chief strategy officer, which kind of is a very broad title. And I was handling a variety of things, basically business, product, and marketing. Okay. Uh, but trying to take the stuff that we're building and make it more palatable for the masses and accessible. So Blockstream is a very engineering-heavy company. A lot of very talented, skilled engineers at the protocol level, but then making something that people can use as a, a product or app on their phone, I think is a slightly different skill set. So that yeah. was what I was bringing to the table and trying to do that. And also get uh, more liquid adoption. That's the Bitcoin sidechain. And I ended up uh, working with uh, El Salvador on their Bitcoin law push and the subsequent digital securities laws. Yeah. So what products were they that Blockstream created that you were pushing for adoption? Basically everything. So Green Wallet, okay. um, it's a Bitcoin and Liquid Wallet. The Liquid Network itself, we were trying to bootstrap the Federation and get more members involved, more exchanges to integrate and basically pre be prepared for high fee environments where there is congestion. Yeah. And kind of like now. Yeah, well, it's past now, but yeah. it, it'll, it comes up from time to time and it shows that you still need that use case, right? Like right. Lightning is good for payments, microtransactions, but not great for moving large amounts of Bitcoin back and forth very rapidly. Yeah. So again, this is a great time to reiterate that you need tech like sidechains to let people move quickly, right? Everyone can technically open a really big Lightning channel to an exchange, but at that point, you might as well just send it on chain, right? Right. So it just shows that it's very, it's a very critical piece of Bitcoin infrastructure. Liquid. Yes. Being a sidechain. Yes. And then uh, Blockstream also had Blockstream Satellite, which is the satellite constellation in geosynchronous orbit that's broadcasting the Bitcoin blockchain. Yeah. All around us right now. Yeah. That's a big project. Yeah. That's a, another critical piece of infrastructure. So that one actually helps prevent against network splits. So if an undersea cable is cut, 
to uh, a particular region with a lot of mining Which power. Which is a potentially big attack vector. Exactly. So that would mitigate that because as long as one person there is running a Bitcoin node and they're connected to the satellite, then they will kind of bridge all those transactions with the rest of the network. So that's another way to prevent you know, high-level attacks on the network. What about, I mean, let's talk about that just for a second. Um, so this is something that I've been thinking about. <clears throat> we saw something that we'll get into, but uh, I mean, we're seeing the rise of censorship, censorship of movement, censorship of, of communication, uh, obviously payment technology, et cetera. And if it doesn't, you don't have to go too far back. As a matter of fact, I think I saw like Chinese submarines were like uh, hovering over like Taiwan's like internet cables. I think I saw like a news headline, right? I think it was in the Arab Spring, Egypt cut the internet going into Egypt, right? right. To try to, to, to cut that down. So I think in the US there's somewhere three to five cables that give all the internet here. So we just cut those off and then there's no internet. And so that, that seems like it would be an attack on Bitcoin, right? If you cut off the internet. Mm -hmm. So does the Blockstream satellites, do they prevent that can help attack, uh, help prevent against that attack, or just against the Bitcoin network attack. I mean, if the internet for, goes down, probably just for Bitcoin. For Bitcoin, yeah. But it, it's it could be scaled up. I mean, I think Adam Beck is working on bi-directional comms through Blockstream satellite. Okay. And in that case, it could potentially help with other things, but it's never going to be able to sustain like uh, a country-level load of data transfer, right? Yeah. So. But I think that kind of attack is mitigated now with things like Starlink, right? right? So you're not completely dependent on terrestrial internet. So Blockstream Satellite was the first step to kind of decentralize away from terrestrial internet, and then you have Starlink as a second layer on that. But in regards to the uh, in regards to the, just the Blockstream satellites, could you still transact Bitcoin? You just can't use the internet. I'm not saying like the whole country move onto internet like we have Starlink for that. Right, right, right. But would you still be able to use Bitcoin um, through that? You can keep your note in sync, but keep if you want to send a transaction, you'll have to find a way to get it over SMS or something else. Got it. Until Adam finishes bi-directional. Got it. Okay. Okay. Um, all right. So those are the big projects. Yeah. What else was there? Um, Blockstream mining was another thing that we right. started. Like that was kind of one of the later projects, right? Not that late. I think that started around the time I joined. Okay. Because I I kind of foresaw that. China was going to clamp down on mining. Yeah. So we wanted to start that movement of hash rate out of China. Okay. I think we're one of the first to set up in North America, actually. Okay. And what else is there at Blockstream? It's been a while since I've shilled Blockstream yeah. stuff. Uh, let me think. There's got to be one more. Oh, Lightning, of course. Yeah. That's an early Blockstream project. But a lot of the things, also Blockstream um, info, it was the one of the first really important um, block explorer projects too, because this is another potential attack vector too, like coming off of the block size wars. Um, it was actually a bit of pre a precarious environment because the big blockers were controlling all the block explorers. Yeah. So they could just flip it to, I don't know, Bcash and say, this is the real chain and you'll confuse right. a large chunk of the world oh. thinking, well, yeah, my transaction is not there. Well, it's on the real Bitcoin now. Right. Right. So having that and then mempool space coming out, I think, helps with that because that mitigates one more attack vector. But if you look at it from a high level, a lot of the stuff that Blockstream is working on is to kind of augment Bitcoin and mitigate high level attacks. So let's talk about the high level attacks because you were around and somewhat instrumental during the block size wars, the nerd wars, the civil yeah. wars <laughs> or whatever. Right. Which was basically trying to do that, change the block size. Yeah. Um, so what was your position in that? I mean, I know you were somewhat instrumental. Explain that. And um, it seems like that same uh, conversation is popping back up again today. Yeah, but it's a, it's a bit less of a threat these days. I mean, it's just a bunch of guys with NFTs. So it's a bit different. Back then, it was almost every single miner or mining pool and almost every exchange. So it's a very different landscape today than it was back then. But yeah, like you're saying, it's, it was an attack. It was people trying to change the Bitcoin protocol and force that through, through just uh, being big players in the space, right? You had Coinbase, Blockchain Info, Bitmain, basically everybody. Right. And then you had just a few bulwarks of resistance, like Blockstream is one. Yeah. But Blockstream was under heavy attack at the time because it was uh, the... RBTC guy saying Blockstream controls Bitcoin. Right. So they can't really 
do much, right? They're kind of pinned down. And then I was the CEO at BTC China at the time, and I came in and basically allied with Adam and Blockstream. And it was a credible outside voice that kind of said, yeah, they don't control Bitcoin, no one controls Bitcoin. And then I think another exchange that was on the side of fighting for small blocks was Bitfinex. Okay. And they opened up some of the uh, markets that later on helped kill some of those forks. Yeah. So in that, I mean, basically the chain was forked. And so we got the big blockchain, uh, BTC or um, BCH. B BCH, sorry. Yeah, and then now there's BSV. Hard to keep track. B BCH. So that's the big blocks. And then we kept the small blocks and the chain was forked. And so then it was about who was going to choose which chain to run with. Yeah. And so then with these big players, which one were they going to start signaling? Is that kind of how it went down? Well, more or less. They were, there were several forks that they were supporting. I think it was like Bitcoin XT, Bitcoin Unlimited, Bitcoin Classic, right. Segwit2x, and uh, then Bcash came. But they were just pushing every single one, trying to find one that stuck, and none of them stuck, and none of them succeeded. Yeah. Let me run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print, or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at legalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for for complete terms. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, Take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com slash strategic. That's oracle.com slash strategic. oracle.com slash strategic. Um, so the, the fight was over trying to increase the block size so you get more throughput on, the, on that. Do you think because block was Blockstream was already working on um, Liquid as a side chain, yeah. so then they realized that the scaling solution was not to increase the block size, but was to do some sort of a side chain like Lightning or Liquid. Is that why kind of where Blockstream's kind of ideology was on that? They realized the scaling solution was something different? Yeah, so I think it's Adam's thinking, which is very based on computer science, right? which is you have to scale technology in layers. Otherwise, you can end up with gigabyte size blocks or terabyte blocks, and right. then the network just centralizes again back to data centers, right? Which is kind of the problem with Ethereum. Right. But if you want Bitcoin, And everything else. Yeah. If you want Bitcoin to be decentralized, you have to keep the blocks small. But that was the battle on the surface, which was we want to scale it to help people. Right. Or as Roger Ver would say, so everyone can buy coffee with Bitcoin, right? On the main chain. Yeah, on the main chain. Because I need my coffee to be immutable for all of history. Yes. <laughs> and, and that's what we're seeing today. Like I don't want to be say, censored on my cup of coffee. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's so important. Yeah. But uh, we're seeing a little bit of that today with the, the pictures on the chain, with the ordinals and all the other stuff, right? Yeah. Like, you don't need your picture 
in the chain and immutable for all time because that can be copied. What you really want is a certificate or a pointer or a, a timestamp, really. But that's a, we can get into that later if you want. But the fight was on the surface level that we need to help, help everybody and scale Bitcoin, right? But I think at a deeper level, it was about fighting uh, to change the protocol and using a very innocuous, seemingly friendly, helpful way to do so, which was because we want to buy coffee and let yeah. the unbanked use Bitcoin. But you, if you can change the block size, you can change everything else. So it's a very slippery slope and right. it would set a very bad precedent. That Bitcoin can just like we were talking about before we start recording, just like with Ethereum. Yeah. So Ethereum changed their monetary policy to be ultrasound money. They can change to be anything they want. But the fact that they changed it means they're not. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So by changing to become that, the change actually proved that they can't be that. Well, yeah, the, the Fed could become ultrasound money too. Yeah. But they can also print and you know, yeah. they can tighten. Yeah. They can do whatever they want. Yeah. So it's the same with Ethereum. They can change it at will. Yeah. But the block size war was to was over that discussion, like, can it be changed? Yeah. And the answer is no. Yeah. On the ordinal piece, to your point, putting the, a JPEG in there seems a little silly. Um, putting the King James Bible in there doesn't seem so silly, uh -huh. right? I mean, people today, over the last decades, decade, tw two decades have been literally risking their lives, laying their lives down to sneak a physical copy of a Bible into China or North Korea. And now it can just be in the censorship-resistant network. Mm -hmm. um, whatever they want to censor, 3D gun schematics could be in there. So while the JPEG seems a little silly, I mean, there could be good use cases, I suppose, for that type of script. Yeah, well, I think uh, Michael Saylor said that he'd put his will on the chain. And the will would be a good example. Yeah, that could be good too. But I think you can get the same effect. If the... If, the, if there's no censorship of the thing, then you don't need to put it on. But if there is, then maybe it would help. Right. right. But if you need censorship resistance yeah. and immutability. If you need censorship resistance. If you need but it. most use cases, like the will, I don't think it's cool, but no one's going to censor your will. What about those movies, you know, where like they sneak into the library and they get the dad's will and they change it? <laughs> well, you can do a timestamp. Yeah, I know. You, you can, can give it to your attorney. Right? I mean, but. Well, you can hash it, right? So you just embed the hash. Right. And that solves. 99.99 of all use cases, right? And embedding a hash would then point to the location where it's at? Yeah, you could do that too. Okay. Um, but the key thing is you want to hash it so you can show that you know, this was the actual original document. Right. And that's enough for 99.9% .9 of every single use case. I yeah, and, and that's a good point. Not everything needs to be decentralized. Not everything needs to be censorship resistant or immutable, like a cup yeah. of coffee. Um, and I think that's one thing that kind of swept over the whole, you know, blockchain world is like, not everything has to be decentralized. JPEGs don't need to be decentralized. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of reasons why things actually shouldn't be decentralized. Uh, or, or, and specifically like achieving consensus, for example. Like um, email is sort of decentralized, but it doesn't need to achieve consensus to work. Right? Correct. Something like that. So um, let's fast forward past that. So you were working there. Um, you guys started working on this whole volcano bond thing. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if this started, I mean, I'm, you know, I don't have any inner working uh, knowledge of, of Blockstream, but just, you know, following along out and back on podcasts, et cetera, you launched this mining um, thing, which then you kind of had a bond um, or some sort of security for the, the mining. The BMN, the Blockstream Mining Note. Okay, the big, big, yeah, okay. Did that kind of then move into the kind of volcano mining in El Salvador? Is that kind of how that started? or where'd... Kind of. So the volcano stuff... Um... It kind of started as a meme because people say, oh, you have volcanoes, you can mine Bitcoin. So right. you should start a volcano mine. And then I think Alistair Milne and Max Kaiser said, make a volcano bond. But it was just like an idea. Uh -huh. But because we had constructed the Blockstream mining note, right. I kind of took that and created the actual structure for what the bond could look like, where they could potentially you know, get rid of their debt in 10 years by creating this Bitcoin bond, which would be... So the Bitcoin bond is the superstructure, yeah. and the superstructure is really just half of the funds raised would go to buy Bitcoin, hold it for five years, and then share, sell it and share the upside. Right. Other half goes into doing a revenue-generating productive activity. So it's like possibly the best bond ever because it's backed half by hardest asset on the planet, and the other half is revenue-generating, whereas most bonds are just pure debt. Pure debt. And nothing backing it, yeah. except for hope. So... 
I think it's a more pragmatic way to create this type of instrument as we move to a future where you know, fiat money could evaporate and disappear one day. Yeah. So you denominate your debt in dollars, but you back it with hard assets and a productive revenue generating activity, which in El Salvador's case would be Bitcoin mining. But that can be transplanted to other places too. So there's interest in Ecuador and Costa Rica in hydro bonds. So using hydropower to mine Bitcoin. And potentially, you could... Volcano bonds, hydro bonds, that's really just the power source, but ultimately it's a Bitcoin bond. Well, technically, you could do it with anything. Uh, it just has to be a revenue-generating gener activity to cover the coupon of the bond. Right. So right now, we're talking to some people in Africa, and you know, there's tons of rare earth minerals in Africa. Right. So you could construct a Bitcoin bond where the revenue-generating activity is mining, like real mining, right. to extract rare earth minerals for whatever, right? and then you still have that Bitcoin component. So that's the direction. The 50% uh, holding Bitcoin, yeah. and then the 50% of the revenue generating activity. Yeah. So then um, this started picking up steam in El Salvador, but then did it get put on hold? Right, so the president, well, we announced it together, and it was supposed to go out like in uh, spring 2022, and then they got caught up fighting the gangs and mm. trying to yeah, stabilize that. And I think there, there was a piece that was needed before that, which was the digital securities laws. That was something that we were advising them on. How In to, El Salvador yeah. to pass that. But that would allow them to issue the bonds themselves under their own regulatory framework. Right. And that has passed, I think, a few months ago. Okay. So potentially they could come out end of this year. And um, I think the Bitfinex team is more involved with them now on the issuance. So I think they said something like maybe end of this year they will do something. But I'm not too uh, involved in that anymore. Okay, okay. But you saw enough of that and enough potential that you decided to leave Blockstream and go move your career on to helping nation states adopt Bitcoin. Yeah, so that's Gen 3. That's where you're at now. Yeah, so it's not just nation states. We want to accelerate uh, hyper-Bitcoinization okay. or accelerate Bitcoin adoption around the world. So, well, Blockstream is one of the most important companies in the space and they're doing excellent work. What I want to do is get more get Bitcoin in the hands of the masses. So we're planning to relaunch the Aqua. People. Yeah, the people. So we're relaunching and, and, and Aqua. And is that a, a, a top-down? I'm, I'm sorry, a, 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 bot, a bottom-up or top-down? It's both. both. So right now we're doing, all the nation-state stuff we're doing is the top-down stuff, engaging sure. with politicians um, and governments. But at the bottom-up level, we want to launch Aqua and start to get more adoption and focus on LATAM first. But the angle that we're taking is that we want to be a Bitcoin and stablecoin wallet. Because right now in LATAM, they are seeking dollar-denominated value. Right. So they're using Tether already. That's, yeah, big time. It's dominant in Latin America. Yeah. A lot of people in the U.S. don't really understand that because, you know, you have excellent banking and everything. Well, maybe I, not anymore. But at, a, at one of the meetings last night, I talked to uh, uh, somebody from Central America, mm -hmm. maybe maybe LATAM, uh, and he was saying the exact same thing. They're moving, you know, $100 million. And he's yeah. like, we're doing it over Tether. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. But uh, most Bitcoin wallets don't have Tether, right? Because they're Bitcoin and Lightning. Yeah. But we plan to have Bitcoin as your savings account, and then we have a spending account section, which is Tether and Lightning and Liquid. Now, so, that would be a custodial wallet. No, non-custodial. A non-custodial wallet. Because Tether is actually on Liquid. Okay. So because we're a Bitcoin and Liquid wallet, you have everything in one view. And we are hoping that we'll take away some of the transaction volume and AUM from the the shit chains and bring it on to liquid. Yeah. You can already use stable coins on Ethereum, right? So you could self-custody that yourself and other chains as well. Yeah, but then you have to use Ethereum. Right. So this way you can put, using liquid, you can put it on the Bitcoin chain. And well, then it's, on, it. it's on the liquid chain. Right. But it would Which be- is a side chain of Bitcoin. Yeah, but the wallet supports both. So you generate one seed okay. and it will spawn your Bitcoin wallet and your liquid wallet. Yeah, okay. So that's the big project right now. Yeah. And that's, that's important because people in LATAM are really for anywhere. I mean, unfortunately, I think uh, we agree there's an evolutionary process to Bitcoin and Bitcoin adoption and the evolution from a collectible store value medium exchange. And so for shorter term purchases, stable coins are still a pretty good solution, especially in emerging markets. Is that kind of the theory? Yeah, but it's more that um, I think there's a bigger cognitive leap you have to make to get into Bitcoin. Whereas for them, they're already seeking dollars, right? right? Paper dollars or... Any way they can get them. Yeah, any way they can get them. So 
you're kind of just giving them the, the thing that they're looking for already. And you don't have to say you should get Bitcoin. But when they install Aqua, they'll see, oh, there's Bitcoin at the top there. Yeah. And it's for saving. Yeah. This is for spending. Yeah. But ironically, like people in developing in the global south with uh, runaway inflation, for them, taking dollars is saving, right? But at least we can get them onto the track of using Bitcoin and uh, Bitcoin sidechain. Let me just run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Yeah, so, you know, I kind of have this theory, and you know, it's not really a theory, I think it's just human nature, is that we don't really move until the pain's high enough. Yeah. I believe in chiropractic, but I don't typically go unless my back hurts real bad, right? Or like uh, someone that needs rehab, they don't want to go to rehab unless they hit rock bottom kind of thing, right? And so in the U.S., most of us don't have pain high enough. In Canada, during the trucker rally, the pain was high enough. But in LATAM, the pain is high enough, right? They're oh, witnessing yeah. double, triple-digit inflation. Yep. So like... You don't need to explain why they need to get out of their fiat currency like into something else. Well, the other thing is a lot of the central bank regulations don't let them get out of their currency too. Right. right? There's limits. Capital controls. Yeah, capital controls. But also in Argentina, they have their official rate, which is like half of the real rate. Right. So if you wanted to do it too, you're going to get cut right at the start. Well, what converting. do you mean by that? So the, your, the real rate being like a black market rate is different than the, well, the official rate? It depends which way you're looking at it. If I okay. say the real rate is the, I think it's called the, the blue rate, right? They call it blue. It's not black. It, yeah, it's not black. But it's the rate on the street. The street rate. And then you have the official rate, which is really bad. And that's the one at the bank. Okay. To exchange uh, their local currency to a dollar. Yeah, it's Argentine peso to dollars. Right, okay. Yeah. So they give you a horrible exchange rate, but on the street, you get a much higher rate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's to prevent people from going into dollars. And it's probably not that easy to go into dollars. It's actually quite easy. There's a ton of money changes everywhere. Okay. But then you won't be able to do it at the bank, right? So you're going to you know, various streets. They're called Cueva Caves. And you go in there and you change your money. And they, they take Tether and dollars or whatever. Okay. So then people are using Tether. They have Tether wallets. They just don't have a wallet that has Tether and Bitcoin in both. Maybe there's some shitcoin wallets that have Bitcoin, but you know, it's not ideal. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. So that's the plan. So then that's like a decentralized approach from the bottom up. Now, when you talk about like from top down nation state adoption, specifically going to like the governments, then you're trying to get them to go to like, you know, what El Salvador did, making it like a legal tender. And I hear people in the United States going, you know, we should make it legal tender or whatever. And I think, does it need to be legal tender? No. Because whatever we want to be used as money is money. If I want to trade you this iPhone or I want to give you three hours of my labor, like we say what the medium of exchange is, right? To a point. The benefit of legal tender is that it removes cap gains, right? So that okay. is really what you need. Legal tender is cool. It's an endorsement. And you but can do all these Do all these nations it. in LATAM have the cap gains issue if it's not um, legal tender? Some of them. Okay. But at least in the U.S. and Canada, right? Yeah. Technically... If, you, if we did a trade a phone for Bitcoin... Then it's a taxable. Taxable event, yeah. right? And that prevents Bitcoin from being used as money. But if a country has no cap gains, like Switzerland, they could just 
adopt Bitcoin right. and say, yeah, because there's nothing stopping yeah. you, right? But in LATAM or Argentina, uh, Peru has massive inflation going on right now, obviously Venezuela, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, they could just start using Bitcoin without it being legal tender. I mean, you can always use Bitcoin. The question is, how above board is it? And can you, someone go after you for using Bitcoin? Right. right. So it's better. So I'm curious in those countries that you're working with down there, that's kind of your target market, the LATAM countries. Mm -hmm. So in those countries, do you need to kind of have that top-down approval of it for the people to be able to start using it? Well, not really, because you already have communities that use it, right? right. But I think getting the top-down is beneficial because of two reasons. First, you make it above board. So every transaction you do is completely legitimate and no one can come after you for paying tax on whatever, right? right. The second is mitigation of nation-state level attacks. So my thinking is, if we get them to adopt Bitcoin, embrace Bitcoin, mine Bitcoin, have a Bitcoin bond, they're less likely to attack the network, right? If they're a miner, they're probably not going to ban mining, right? right? If they're holding Bitcoin as a treasury asset, they're not going to ban, ban non-custodial wallets. What was the term again? Um, Self-hosted wallets, yeah, right, like they are in Europe. So I think you have to engage on some level with the governments. Otherwise, you end up with very poor policy decisions like in the Europe, European yeah. Union. So it's sort of like defending Bitcoin by educating people yeah. in the government. Yeah. So it seems like in the G7 countries, at least, there's a massive attack. To your point, Europe's trying to ban self-hosted wallets. Mm -hmm. um, we're seeing a rise of just censorship, period, right? Yeah. They want to censor movement. We talked about being in Canada, right? Yeah. Censoring movement. Uh, the G20 agreed to putting a passport system in, health passport system in. That's the G20. Uh, censorship of information. So now the G7 have all put in um, laws against disinformation and whatever hateful speeches, et cetera. And now censorship on financial transactions. So uh, lots of laws going in in Europe, to your point, uh, self-hosted wallets potentially. Um, and now the U.S. with this Restrict Act, I mean, mm -hmm. it's just insanity. Um, but that's like the G7. Like, we don't really see that happening in LATAM, or are you? Is there a fight going on down there? Or do you think this is maybe where game theory starts playing out, where like, good, okay, G7, G20, go ahead and do that to yourselves, but it's going to grow down here. Well, it's definitely going to grow down there, because I think it's like you're saying, like, unless the pain is high enough, people aren't going to do something. Yeah. And the pain in the global south has been high for a very long time. So right. they're just fine looking for a way to get out. But until the advent of Bitcoin, there's just no way out. Right. right. There was no there's no uh, there's no boat. exit. Yeah, no exit. But now there is an exit. So the, the fight, I think, like the G7 countries are basically doing it to themselves. Right. Whether they understand it or not, they're just killing themselves. Yeah. But um, the fight, I think, in LATAM will be against the global organizations like the World Bank and the IMF, which are trying to prevent them from getting out of that debt spiral, right? right. Or getting out of debt slavery. So in Argentina, you know, the IMF a couple of years back said, we'll give you a loan, but you shouldn't adopt. Well, they said crypto, but no one cares about crypto. Right. It's about Bitcoin. They said, you know, don't adopt crypto and we'll give you a loan. And they said, okay. But I think there's a new election coming. There's actually a lot of elections coming up in LATAM. And that means there's a big opportunity for the landscape to just change completely. So they might aren't, just aren't say, most of those elections going like communist, socialist? I mean, uh, what we say. saw in Chile, they tried to, you know, they adopted a, a card carrying communist with a new communist constitution uh, in, in Brazil. Like that seemed to be a pretty socialist communist, uh, you know, coup that happened there, whatever, if you want to call it that. Are you seeing that? I mean, is that, do you think that's hurtful for adopting something like Bitcoin? Well, you have to run with the tides. Like the political tide will change. Yeah. And sometimes it's changing for the worse, like in your examples. Yeah. But in Argentina, they have a, a pro Bitcoin candidate, okay. Javier Millet. And he's spoken about Bitcoin in the past, and he could potentially be a, a champion of Bitcoin. Um, I know there is a potentially pro Bitcoin presidential candidate in Guatemala. We have two in the US. Yeah, you do. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. But One on both sides of the aisle. <laughs> no, right? That's pretty amazing. It is. Um, so it's hard to say, but we'll have to see. And this is why we've been making trips like Gen3. We've been going on these missions and trying to engage the, the next potential presidential candidates. Okay. 
So uh, what's your uh, prediction there? Which, uh, which countries do you think seem to be the most favorable and maybe might be not a prediction as to which one's the next one, but which ones, which ones seem to be the most open, most favorable? Which ones do you think will probably move into some sort of, maybe not even full adoption, but acceptance? It's hard to say. I, I can't predict the outcome of the elections, but there are certain countries that could potentially adopt Bitcoin. So I guess the, the question is, what does adopt Bitcoin mean? If it means Bitcoin legal tender, then I have no idea because it's really hard. El Salvador is a, a, unique, uh, a unique oddity, I think, in which they had a, President Bukele has a supermajority of um, the Congress, right? right? So they can pass the laws very easily. Whereas in most other countries, it's very hard to get anything passed. So if you ask me which country is going to put out a Bitcoin law, I have no idea. But I think there are countries that could adopt Bitcoin. And when I say adopt Bitcoin, it's more broad. It could be mining. It could be with a bond or just uh, having Bitcoin as a treasury asset yeah. or a law. It could be any of those things. So Guatemala, I think, is interesting because they have a law already called divisas, which is they allow you to use any foreign currency. Mm. And with Bitcoin as legal tender in El Salvador, it is a foreign currency. Mm. So that standing of Bitcoin from El Salvador adopting it is actually very important because that lets us do more interesting things with it. Okay. Because it has formal recognition. Um, so Guatemala, they don't actually need a law. Someone just has to say, basically interpreting the current law that Bitcoin can be used for payments and everything. Yeah. And then you're done. And we're working with some people in Mexico to see if the Mexican law would afford that same option. Um, and Panama is also interesting too because they don't have a central bank and it was founded on the premise that you can use whatever money you choose to. Yeah. So Guatemala and Panama could potentially be the next ones, but they would be easy because they don't need to do anything. Yeah. Someone just has to say, yes, you can use Bitcoin. Yes, you can use Bitcoin and you're done. Let me run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. So seeing as you've left Blockstream, you've gone over here, this is your thing now, uh, nation-state adoption, top-down, bottom-up, hitting both those approaches, um, actively working with the governments, et cetera, trying to... I don't want to say influence, educate, 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 educate potential people, right? Um, the education, you, you don't need to influence if you can educate them properly, I guess, right? So then what is, what's your goal? I mean, what's the, what's the outlook here? I mean, the goal is to ensure an orderly transition into a Bitcoin standard. So if you look at the world today, it's still mostly on fiat, but you and I both believe we're probably mo- moving to a Bitcoin standard ultimately, right? The question is when, on what time frame? I think it's. Well, five we would, cer- we would certainly agree that all fiats are dying. Yeah, and uh, they're on their last legs, and there has to be a replacement. And there's not another fiat replacement. So what is it? So then, 
Yeah. It's almost like we need a decentralized ledger that nobody could control. Yeah. It's almost like that. So if we are going there, then it's better to, it, it depends on your time horizons too. So I'm thinking five to 10 years. Okay, great. And in five to 10 years, that's pretty quick actually. And it means that countries need to start uh, adopting now and having some sort of Bitcoin strategy in place. Because when it comes time, when the shit hits the fan, you don't want people to try to figure out, oh, how do I get my fiat into Bitcoin? Right. That's just mass chaos. And you've seen this historically through demonetization events. India in 2016 had one. They yeah. pulled some notes out of circulation. People actually died because they couldn't pay for medical procedures or their, uh, they died from exposure, from lining up, trying to convert their old bill to a new bill. Yeah. But just take that and imagine like, all fiat monies are now failing rapidly and people need to get into Bitcoin. You need to have all those rails in place, all that infrastructure in place, and you know the government needs to know what to do. Yeah, because they control a lot of the money, still. So, our thinking is if we can get them onto some sort of Bitcoin adoption strategy now, we can mitigate that chaos down the road. Yeah, and have a orderly transition, and people can move into Bitcoin. Yeah. So parallel tracks. So like El Salvador, they're still on the dollar, mm -hmm. but they have Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. You could be Argentina and be dollarized and with Bitcoin, or you could be Mexico and have the Mexican peso and Bitcoin. Sure. And this, in my view, is the best outcome we can get for the next few years to have parallel tracks in multiple places. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of that could be driven uh, bottom up, I mean, yeah. if there's demand for it. Um, so in Mexico, they have the peso, but they also accept dollars in a lot of places, right? Not everywhere, and to get the remote places, they won't. But I also, I also really like the Bitcoin bond um, situation because now any country that has excess energy could instantly start making revenue. And I, and I think that's kind of interesting because if you look back through history, it was like the nations that had natural resources, you know, typically oil that, mm -hmm. were, that, that flourished because they had that cheap amount of energy. And now you have a nation like El Salvador who has really no natural resources, bananas or whatever, right? But like they have this volcano. <laughs> Mm -hmm. What's a volcano good for? Well, now they could create, you know, um, revenue off of that. And then you look at like the landscape of like uh, the South Pacific and all the atolls that have volcanoes on them, and like yeah. the ability for them to start generating revenue off of that. So it seems like uh, the greed, the greed aspect is always a good angle, right? If governments can create excess revenue and potentially raise extra revenue off of bonds without having to go through the IMF or whatever, yeah. like. Well, I think the biggest benefit of the bonds is that they can raise the capital to tap into those resources. So El Salvador has to expand their geothermal generation capacity still, right? They only have a few plants right now, but they have a lot of geothermal potential. Right. But the bond would let them build new plants. And then once the plants are built, they're good for you know, 50, 80 years. And that's all Bitcoin. Yeah. And I think that transformation is not yet fully appreciated by most people around the world. They don't yet understand that Bitcoin is now money and money is now Bitcoin. Bitcoin is information and energy. So if you have energy, you have money, right? Right. So the Middle East has lots of oil and they've, they've figured it out pretty easily. Right. Well, oil is money. We can build cities in the desert. And in the case of uh, the UAE, they actually pay you to be Emirati. You don't pay taxes. Right. You get paid. Yeah. And this can actually happen in many places around the world. It could happen in El Salvador, in Indonesia, in the Philippines. So Indonesia and the Philippines have a massive amount of geothermal energy. So if they can just tap into that, yeah, they could be the next Dubai or whatever, right? Yeah. And I think uh, this potential is what we're trying to educate them on and align their incentives. So if you think about Bitcoin from a very high level, is this a piece of software that brilliantly aligns incentives across the board between end users, miners, and everyone else, right? Yeah. And we can kind of take that and amplify that for nation states too and show them, well, you can mine Bitcoin and you don't need to tax anybody. Because every country right now is looking for ways to generate tax revenue. Sure. Right? So why not just tap into what you have? And I think with the global south, they're more amenable to this concept, right? Like the G7, I don't have a lot of hope. Canada has massive amounts of hydropower, right? Yeah. Technically, in Canada, you could fit three entire Bitcoin networks. Wow. And just mine in Canada. 
there's enough energy for that. Yeah, but Canada has no gold either, so there's no yeah, for them. We have zero gold. <laughs> so until there's a seismic shift in the government, then yeah. I don't have much hope. But yeah. in, in the end, necessity drives a lot of change. Back where the pain's high enough. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. I'm hopeful. No, I love it. You know, you, back to Saudi Arabia, I mean, the, the benefit that they have is they can get the oil out of the ground and they can ship the oil. Mm-hmm. But you can't ship energy from a geothermal unit. Like, uh, like you can't really transmit that very far. Mm-hmm. There's no way to package it and ship it. And so mining allows them to, to uh, monetize that. Yeah. And the beautiful thing is, I tell them, like, even if you don't believe in Bitcoin and you don't want it, just mine it and sell it to someone else. Right. Someone else will buy it. Yeah. Sailor will buy even it. Even if you think it's fool's gold yeah. and people want to buy it, sell them the fool's a gold. Market. There's this incredibly liquid market and there are buyers. Yeah. So it's almost negligent. And have they been not. pretty receptive to that? Well, that's usually the light bulb moment. Yeah. I tell them first, your energy could fund everything through Bitcoin. And then you don't have to keep Bitcoin. You yeah. can just sell it all. And you don't even have to mention Bitcoin. It's like, hey, would you like to make an extra billion dollars a year? <laughs> or whatever. That's probably way more. Or, or whatever the number is, right? And then, uh, well, how do I make an extra billion dollars? By running uh, data centers. Yeah. What would the data centers do? Well, does it really matter? <laughs> and you just kind of like work your way in. Yeah. Uh, if you drop Bitcoin too soon, they're like, oh, never mind, never mind, or kind of a thing like that. So is your theory then, you said five, 10 years, which uh, it's always time frame. Five, 10 years is actually seems pretty short pretty short time frame. It is. Um, but you think like a, a game theory will play out here where potentially the G7, maybe even more than that, really get aggressive and try to clamp down because they're trying to protect the status quo. They want their system to maintain, but the people who aren't in the system, they don't care. They have nothing to lose, right? And so those ones will adopt. And if that happens out, then those countries will have the upper hand, the advantage. Is that yeah. kind of how you see it kind of playing out? I think they'll try to clamp down, but they're going to face... Uh civil unrest at home just because their policies make no sense yeah right like if you look at germany they shut down all their nuclear and then they're burning coal yeah right like and they're proud of that for some reason but <laughs> they're 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 chopping down forests and burning wood and they're proud of that yeah they call it i think renewable. they're importing trees from the u.s to yeah. burn too so uh i don't see how sustainable that is yeah so they might try to cl- clamp down or crack down but they're just going to self immolate themselves self-destruct yeah so i don't think they can successfully clamp down and as bitcoin's dominance grows those globalist organizations lose more and more power too so all you need to do is have a few bitcoin bonds in the wild right and that just makes an imf imf loan look useless right yeah that's the game theory so as long as one or two people are doing it, then other people are going to see that. I did see uh, Liechtenstein said they were going to start accepting Bitcoin for government payments. Yeah. And so again, that's just like another little crack in the game theory, yeah. so to speak, you know, uh, the more adoption. Okay. Well, and we're engaged with Liechtenstein. Oh, you are? Yeah. Okay. We're engaged with a lot of countries. Yeah. We just can't talk about a lot of stuff yet. But yeah, yeah. If, if you knew everything I knew, you'd be super bullish on Bitcoin. <laughs> I'm already bullish on Bitcoin, but maybe more I'll be more bullish. On so that's good. So okay. So you, you can't disclose it, but if we knew what if we knew what you knew, if we knew what was going on in the conversations inside some of these governments, yeah, it's it's pretty favorable. I would say so. It's just pragmatism at the end of the day, right? I mean, I just go back to just human greed. Like, which government doesn't want more money? Which government doesn't want to turn more of their resources into money? Yeah, and they all do, except for some of the G7s. Except for some of the G7s, and that's. The pain is not high enough. They yeah. can still just print for now, yeah. right? But the nations that aren't able to do that, like uh, George Carlin, like there's a big old club and you're not in it. So all those countries, they're not in it. And their choice is either one, go to the IMF and give up massive amounts of sovereignty, potentially change the entire makeup of their country. Yeah. Um, in Ukraine, I saw this article this week. It was, they're the third largest debtor to the IMF. And the IMF is making them uh, change the entire like property ownership of their government uh their country ukraine is the the breadbasket of europe right some of the most fertile land and they're taking all the land from the farmers and basically give them to the oligarchs yeah and so like if you're a country that doesn't want to give that up what's your other option it's only bitcoin it's only bitcoin yeah so um okay well i think we can end it with that man if we knew what you knew we'd be even more bullish on on bitcoin anything else that you want to talk about Oh, or draw good. attention to what can people do to get involved in this anything so last year um when i was on stage i said you know everyone should try to do something yeah and i think that 
maybe stirred up some people, but a lot of people have started reaching out and engaging with us. So we have, you know, groups in multiple countries working with us, uh, facilitating meetings and doing Is research. that with Aqua or with... Uh, Just nation state. Nation state, okay. Yeah. So I think uh, the call I would say is keep doing that. Like you can reach out. You don't need to talk to me or Gen3, yeah. but you should try to do something and try to fix the system that you're in mm -hmm. because it's only... Bring awareness, change the conversation. Yeah. It's only through our work that we can affect change. If we just sit back and wait, nothing will happen. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Um, and I know we have a big international audience, so talk about it, share the information, uh, continue to bring adoption uh, or just education around it, and we can really have a, a, a bottom-up approach. And I think kind of like what we saw in El Salvador, you get that bottom-up approach, and then the top goes, what the heck is going on? Yeah. Oh, that's pretty good. Let's go do that. So, Cool. All right, Samson. Well, yeah. thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks, Mark. It's been fun. Yeah. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota.